0: now entering the bitcoin podcast network welcome to hashing it out a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks we dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks Back everybody to hashing it out. As always, I'm your trusted host, Dr. Corey Petty. Colin is not able to make it today due to some uh, previous engagements he couldn't get away from. But today we have an interview. Uh, I'm excited about. I've been following this project for a long time. Um, think it's a it's a interesting and useful use case for blockchain technology, and that is a uh, Golem. Today I have uh, Peter, uh, CEO of Golem, to kind of discuss where it's been, where it is, where it's going. Uh, welcome to the show. Why don't you start us off by introducing yourself and talking a little bit about um, how you got into space and what Golem is.
1: Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Piotr Janiuk, CEO of Golem. So I've been in the project since the very beginning, since the inception of the idea, in fact. And, well, back then it was mostly about Ethereum, Ethereum being the big change in the way one can utilize computing power in a sense that makes smart contracts executable, meaning that you can bypass some lawyers and stuff that you usually need an intermediary for. And it was very interesting for us because we wanted to obviously back then do some rendering without any intermediaries. For example, if you have a scene to render, you would like to render this scene on a render farm, you need someone to collect your money and transfer it further on. But back then, it was the way we looked at it. So Ethereum gave us the opportunity to, in fact, make the settlement without the intermediary, and it should be, we believe that's that way, easier to do it with Ethereum and without any intermediaries and without using FIAT money, in fact. So from the UX perspective, we expected it to be fairly straightforward, and we decided that perhaps it's good to share some computational power along and let people simply settle between each other. So in a peer-to-peer decentralized manner. So the idea was, back then, was exactly like this. We believe that we can build a three-sided consumer market so that there are requesters, providers, and developers. Uh, Requesters want some job to be done. Providers provide their resources. Back then it was only about computational resources. And developers provide applications Integrated with Golem and hosted by providers. So this is, this was the starting point. It emerged partially on top of idea of virtual machine of Ethereum, but whereas virtual machine of Ethereum is about keeping the consistent state and uh, compute the, well, compute the state across multiple uh, nodes in the network and keep them in a consensus. Right here we wanted to utilize the power without Having this large-scale consensus, just small-scale, perhaps two nodes consensus, when collecting and computing results. So this was the idea back then, and we spent quite a while developing it. We learned quite a lot along the way, especially that we imposed our vision of how people should compute, meaning that we assume this three sides to form a consumer market. So this is, in a sense, a constraint. Maybe it's it should be a consumer market, maybe not. So along the way, we figure out that maybe it's better to allow users to choose what's best for them. Is it a consumer market? Or maybe some other sort of market? Is it fully decentralized? Because it was imposed in the network as well. But maybe some users want to use it partially centralized. We don't know. Maybe they want to have a service that would provide some sort of reputation source. Hard to say. But it should be user who is responsible for choosing what's the best for him or her. And platform should allow users to achieve it easily. We shouldn't impose directly in the protocol any assumptions of how users may use the platform. It should be generic in the sense of Well, yeah, being able to choose what sort of resources they want to use, how they want to use, and how they want to settle for them. And yes, this is how Golem evolved. And the way we look at it right now is more or less along the lines I described.
0: All right. So like at a high level, high level, I'm a user. I would like to do some computation. I don't want to do it on my machine. And I don't have access to um, compute clusters uh, that would be able to do this. Uh, Instead, I could use the Golem network, submit my job, um, pay for it, assumably with Golem or some um, ERC20 token or ether, um, and then my my results would be would return, right? Is that that's like kind of the high-level kind of walkthrough of what I'm doing as a user who'd like to have computation done. As someone who's providing computation, I have some compute resources sitting in my uh, either like data center or, or home network that I'd like to um, better utilize because they're sitting idle. I can then broadcast these these, comp- these compute resources onto the golden network and potentially make money by or make tokens of some form um, by taking those jobs from users, computing them, getting results and sending them back. That's, that's the general idea here.
1: So for the first incarnation of Golem, this is true because, well, the MapReduce framework is exactly what you described mm-hmm. in this peer-to-peer decentralized fa- manner. But ultimately, it shouldn't be uh, only this. So we shouldn't limit ourselves only to this MapReduce framework. In fact, people should be able to, well, from providers' perspective, perhaps it's, it's true. You, you have uh, idle resources and you'd like just to make money or share them maybe for free because you believe in some idea. Uh, but yeah, you should be able to utilize your idle resources. But from the requester's perspective, it's not necessarily sending a task and getting back a result because task may be a service. You would like to host a web server in a censorship-resistant way, and you should be able to deploy it in the network, and it should run over there. So yes, in essence, requester should be able just to run any task not necessarily only the task with one input and expected output as a result. It might be a stateful task, and it should be able to run over a long period of time.
0: Why, why the change? Um, I imagine a process of building that first implementation, um, putting it on a production, having users uh, upgrading it, and learning, maintaining it, doing support tickets. You learn quite a few lessons. Was it was it that process that made you decide to? Revamp a lot of this stuff in your, in your like, uh, feature improvements or was it, was it something else?
1: Yeah, it was mo- mostly about uh, lessons learned because uh, along the way we made some assumptions about how the computations should take place, about how they should be mm, assured by the protocol where in fact they shouldn't be assured in any way. Because we want to make sure that, for example, there's integrity of the computation, which is very, very important. But how to assure the integrity? Well, we believe that the only way to do it is to verify the results. But we have quite a lot of different classes of tasks that it's very hard to verify. So if you have the deterministic task, then it's fairly straightforward. You can recompute the task on some other node and compare it bit by bit if it's different than someone's lying. But if you have a non-deterministic task, then perhaps you can use some sort of metric to compare how two results are close together, which is the case with rendering. But ultimately, there may be no way of comparing those tasks, and you're incapable of actually saying if what you get is the valid result. So we try to solve this problem in general whereas the better approach is to offload it to users who know with what kind of tasks they're dealing. So if a software developer develops some sort of integration, let it be the rendering, he or she may decide to not necessarily utilize any sort of verification, but simply resort back to some sort of reputation source and only calculate on the reputable nodes in the network. This is one approach, but it should be up to the user to decide what to use, and it should be the users who provide the services to assist it, or algorithms, for example, for redundant verification as well. It shouldn't be built in the core protocol. Core protocol should allow users to do it, but it shouldn't be imposed on them.
0: Ah, Okay, so the the main changes were removing the um, verification process from the core protocol and baking it into um, a layer above which gives the users more options on how they'd like to not only like uh, not only what kind of jobs they can do but also how they verify whether or not those jobs are done correctly by some third party
1: in fact i would not call it even verify but i would call how they assure integrity of the computation. okay okay
0: and and then like a, in, in your current vision what are the options that are available to the to the user
1: Local verification, as we have right now, redundant verification, as we have or can have in this next milestone, uh, reputable source of trust, decentralized trust. This is uh, well, this is an open problem yeah. in decentralized reputation, but perhaps we can move uh, a step closer towards finding a solution or mix of thereof.
0: Yeah. So, how, like, perhaps there are more. Potentially, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Like, like Golem most recently came out with like the next version uh, in in production, which is, a, in my opinion, a huge milestone and and a, and, a, and the result of a tremendous amount of work and lessons learned, as you've as you've kind of alluded to so far. Can, can you give it like, give a brief synopsis of like what exactly that milestone was and what you're currently capable of doing within the ecosystem in production?
1: Well, so. Mm, there was a milestone, it's Clay. And there is going to be the next big milestone, which hasn't been announced yet fully. Yeah. So if you refer to Clay, then I can resort to Clay. If you refer to this next milestone, that's a different story.
0: Let's do both. Let's start with Clay. What Clay is. Okay. And then we'll talk about kind of what, what, what's been de- dubbed as the next milestone.
1: Uh, so Clay is uh, one of the incarnate, well, it's a, a version of Golem as presented in our original white paper. And it's enhanced in terms of what Brass, the previous version, could provide. And the main enhancement, and the most important one, is Task API. So allowing users to integrate on their own and providing their own integrations in the MapReduce framework on top of Golem. This is the the most important part, because until Clay, uh, there was... Blender integration and a few other integrations, but provided by Golem Factor. Mm-hmm. And it was very hard for developers to prepare their own integrations. One means of overcoming it was preparing a Wasm integration, which would allow users to simply write programs in WebAssembly and just deploy it to the network. Nevertheless, they were limited to using Wasm to have this more generic approach. With Clay and Task API, Users are able to provide their own integrations on their own without assistance of the Golem factory.
0: So is that drastically expanded? Like what you can do. a drastically standard what you can do or what you can get done using the
1: network. Well, in fact, you can do quite a lot using the network provided that it's MapReduce. So if you mm-hmm. can do something in MapReduce framework, you're Certainly, well, not necessarily, but you should be able to do it using the, uh, the clay. But it may be very straightforward because when you use your local machine, it may be easier simply to split your task into threads or processes mm-hmm. for that matter. And it's not that easy to sp- split tasks and set, prepare the setup, for example, with prices and time, uh, timeouts or using the other market where you pay for usage in Golem. You have to be Know a bit more about how the tasks are computed and how long it m- it might take for them to compute on different machines to prepare integration
0: and the next milestone this, this kind of'm uh, not sure what you're calling it, but it's just certainly a kind of revamp slash uh, change in how things work Can you talk a little bit about that and what it is
1: yeah so so this is hmm, this is the result of all the lessons learned mm-hmm. along the whole way uh so this is based on brand new architecture. So at some point, more than a year ago, we decided to sit in a room and start a whiteboard and discuss principles of Golem and the architecture of Golem and the lessons learned. And it took us quite a while, but we came up with quite solid understanding of what it should be what the architecture should be, and yeah, how we want to build based on it. And the decision made right then was that Golem shouldn't be a platform imposing any restriction on users. It should be a platform allowing users to easily locate resources, computational resources that they need, not only computational power. It should be disk space, it should be RAM if they want it. It should be CPU or multiple CPUs, GPUs, whatever. And it should be easy for users to locate it. It should be easy to express what they are looking for. So not only I want to calculate a, calculate a task with a timeout, for example, I may be willing to rent a VM with 12 cores. But I want this VM to be priced with a linear pricing model, or whatever pricing model. So there is a language to express uh, the well description language for resources and matching engine which allows offers and demands. demands Describe what resources we're looking for and offers describe what resources providers provide. So the engine matches those two and allows requesters and uh, providers and demons and offers to, well, match and find each other in the network. So this is it. It's from imposing some sort of market and market conditions. We stripped it to the protocol of finding resources and on top of it, we added a few layers of abstraction that will be implemented by us, but ultimately they are based on architectural principles, which means that they can be, in fact, implemented by anyone. We want to provide reference implementation. So, for example, in clay and in brass, we had Docker containers or was Right now, it can be anything that is ranging from Bare metal to virtual machines through containers or even clusters. So we should be able to expose cluster of computers to the network as a powerful node, but it should be cluster that can be used as a cluster, not as a single computer. So this is it. And on top of it, there is a payment API, payment abstraction layer that uses Ethereum, uses GNT and is used for settlements and it is in different, it's different from what we have in play in a way that it allows you to describe almost arbitrary pricing model. So it going be pricing model for services. It may be linear, maybe any function in fact. And you can have timeouts if you wish, but you can also resort back, back, you can resort to some third party services which, which can help you, hmm, Either locate better resources or assure, give you some guarantees regarding the nodes that you're going to find. Or for example, they can attest some other features that those, uh, features attributes that those nodes provide. For example, that they are genuinely processors with enough power that you should be able to run your computation on. For example, someone can say that they have 12 cores, but in fact they can have I don't know, 11, 10, whatever, or just utilize half half of them. And in fact, this is not what you're looking for. But you should be able to easily specify exactly what you're looking for. And this protocol should allow you to match your demand with the offer, provided there's one on the market. So there are those layers. Uh, There's matching of demands and offers. There's market, which, in fact, after matching, distributes its between nodes, there's abstraction layer of execution that allows you to express in an abstract way many different resources. And on top of it, there's a layer of payments and settlements. But everything is abstracted. It's reference, reference implementations will be provided by us, but in fact, it's based on the full separation of those layers.
0: I got, oh man, so many questions from here. Uh, like that's, that's ambitious as it seems to say, it's a, it's a very large generalization of what you previously offered or, or sought to offer within Golem. Um, what's, what's the projected timeline for the next milestone? Like what, for, for all of this, or at least like, you know, like MVPs of all of this. this that's a lot of really difficult things.
1: Uh, well but we've been working on it for quite a while now so I believe that it's a couple of months a small couple of months
0: what makes you think you can do it because you've been focused on it um, like maybe somewhat more constrained previously for the past you know five years or so and you, you've been thinking about these problems this entire time is that why you think you can you can do it and you have a solution for it that's uh, uh, apparently implementable within the next few months?
1: Well, so first of all, we don't want to, we don't try to solve problems which are too hard right now. So we solve problems that we know we can solve and we offload other problems to users or to services. So this uh, applies, for example, to the replication problem. And the second thing is that, uh, yeah, internally we already have a POC implemented, which means that it is pretty far down the road. I mean, the implementation, so it's not only the architecture, there's quite a lot of implementation already in place.
0: So what do you see, like, kind of the the, the main service offering of the network with this vision in mind? Does it just become kind of like decentralized Amazon Web Services? I, I want this compute resource to do this particular type of job. Here's a market. Here's a way for me to request that and find it at a given pricing model. I then initiate some engagement on top of that.
1: Well, perhaps. (laughs) If I would say that it is the case, I would uh, perhaps make the same mistake that we made previously by assuming that the market looks exactly as we envisioned it. Mm -hmm. I think it's mostly up to users, and not only the requesters and providers, but the end users uh, who can use those decentralized web tree-like services who can impose some sort of um, tasks in the network that they may be willing to see something that they understand that we don't know about yet. So I believe it's up to them, not up to us. It's up to us to provide the platform and provide reference integrations and show them that external developers can easily integrate with the platform. But I cannot really tell if competing, well, if calling it a decentralized Amazon web service or something like this is is the right approach. I, I simply don't know.
0: Yeah. I'm just trying to look at like maybe not long term, but like what what's going to be useful in the short term because um because we don't know, uh organizations choosing to use something like this for persistent storage over a long period of time seems like uh, something they wouldn't do. And so you want to use the network, at least in the short term while it's being vetted um and, and discovered, uh, to use it for services that are relatively short term or not necessarily mission critical. Like I don't want to host my infrastructure on on the Golem network. So what am I going to use it for?
1: Yeah, for sure. But hmm, I think that there are quite a lot of open source projects, in a sense, open projects that should be hosted on Golem. If you want, for example, to have a backend or computation for your service, whatever it is, then you may use other existing uh, infrastructure, Amazon, whatever, or you can use Golem because it offers some features that you cannot get otherwise. So this may be a censorship resistance and based on decentralization or some sort of confidentiality guarantees uh, if enclaves are used, for example. But maybe someone implements a valid fully homomorphic encryption on top of Golem. And this is something that you can use and locate easily. And yeah, just as you can locate any resource provided in form of single node, uh, you can have a group of nodes which means that even Amazon or other uh, providers should be able to interface with Golem and provide your infrastructure through it. So I believe it's about the expressiveness uh, of the platform. So if you there are certainly some niches where you have some needs that cannot be fulfilled by the infrastructure as it's right now. And perhaps you should be able to find something you look for using Golem. If you would like to, for example, just for test purposes, deploy a small-scale blockchain, you can rent a bunch of computers uh, in a data center, but they are centralized for sure. It's very hard to get it fully decentralized. And in Golem, if you would like to do such a test, you should easily one click, in fact, be able to locate a decentralized bunch of computers that can Accurately simulate environment for blockchain.
0: Let's see. I could definitely, I mean, I, that, that alone gives me a lot of ideas on what what could be done, um, at least within like DevOps and testing. Uh, and I also think about like integrations with current infrastructure of providing services that do currently right now most of the ethereum ecosystem if it tries to provide a service it usually offloads that service to some centralized party that does a specific amount of aggregation like aggregation or provides indexes on top of reading nodes or things like that and it's it's kind of uh, in the name of decentralization but because the tech is not there yet we rely on centralized services to do things cheaply like can you can you imagine a golem starts to kind of take the place of those services or offerings of services, either choose the centralized one or choose the the Golem route. Yeah,
1: definitely, definitely. And yes, I believe that more Layer 2 solutions evolve and are present. They may actually need quite a lot of additional computational power at hand and having a Golem as a backend for, for such additional computations might be handy.
0: Why what, what do you see as as like your main roadblocks, your barriers? Like what's what's gonna make what's gonna be difficult at least within like um in the current landscape that you can foresee right now? Because there's always going to be trips and, and trials and tribulations that you don't foresee. But like what are you seeing right now as like the main hurdle you have to get
1: over? So there are a couple I believe that there are two most important ones. The first one is uh, peer-to-peer networking. No, uh, in fact, there is no, that. no silver bullet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, w- we can handle it because we can resort to, for example, uh, relays uh, that would allow us to keep Golem peer-to-peer, but with some central points uh, allowing for yeah, uh, well, re- routing traffic, but ultimately we would like to get rid of them. Uh, And it's not really that bad in terms of being centralized because if you look at what what I described from the perspective of a service, not as relay itself, then the relay may be hosted on Golem Network as a service on Golem Network and being paid by the users of Golem Network. So this, this in a sense, makes it, well, a valid argument of using those relays uh, at some point. Well, and start with them. Ultimately, we would like to have a fully relay-free Fully working peer-to-peer network, but yeah. it it is working. What is it
0: currently? Is it built on Dev P2P or Lead P2P?
1: Well, right now the Golem is built on our own solution. So, but we started with the P2P. And it's
0: so it still maintains like a Kadmia-like like like networking discovery process.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. And the second hurdle is the scalability of uh, Ethereum itself. So. Yeah, we, we cannot do settlements uh, on, on the main blockchain because it, it's infeasible. Uh, even in clay Golem and even in brass, it was infeasible because we had to use batch transfers to make it cheaper. So it was infeasible in terms of gas cost and in terms of um, confirmation time. That sometimes was way, way too long. So some sort of scalability would be required. We can build our own layer too, especially... Just for Golem, and it would be fine. You can base it, for example, on enclaves. But ultimately, we would like to have working general solution that can be used with Golem, without us having to provide something, especially for the for the platform. But we know how to handle it. Although it would be better if we wouldn't have to. Would, yeah, and someone would just provide working solution.
0: What a what have you looked into so far in terms of kind of scalability solutions specific towards Golem on Ethereum mainnet right now? Like there's, there's so many options that have gone through introduction, hype, death in some cases of like what we're going to do to scale layer two of Ethereum. Like what have you tried? What have you, what have you experienced and kind of what are you thinking about at least in terms of like analogous
1: scenarios for Golem? Well, if something like optimistic rollups at scale would work, then that would be just, just fine. We were closely cooperating with Omiza at some point, and so, yeah, we, we wanted to use plasma, but we all did. Well, we can <laughs> do it right now. Yeah, but but the plasma was was uh, something that we were looking for. But in fact, if you build a custom solution, uh, for example, if you use enclaves to close the get inside them, and you just run get inside the enclaves, then perhaps it's valid approach to create a side chain just for one project and just checkpoint every block or so in the main chain.
0: I see. But can you, can you explain a little bit about that interface between, because like the the computation network is definitely outside of the Ethereum network, but you need a link and that's usually through what I, from if I'm not mistaken, payments and settlement of agreements between the, the different actors in the network is that basically what you're using it for, and kind of, you describe, um, maybe like, the, like the bandwidth requirements, like where are you actually touching the chain and why?
1: Well, so we're <laughs> we're not in production yet, so we're not touching chain. So back to Clay, yes, we, we touch the chain during the settlements, and when the settlements happen in batches. So when you have enough payments accumulated. You send a bunch of payments. It's cheaper than sending one payment mm-hmm. after another. And this happens once once in a while. It can happen one in a, one a day, once a day, perhaps.
0: You have know, like, you know, you know, you have your own infrastructure that kind of aggregates and manages those, those payments.
1: Well, this happens uh, on, on every node. So this is a fully decentralized infrastructure. And then what do you, how do you foresee that changing
0: as, as things go? Cause like the, the, the more Activity that you get, the larger your network grows, the, the more probably in an exponential case transaction throughput you'll actually need and whether or not and how mm-hmm. you batch those things and aggregate them will drastically determine like whether or not your network can scale.
1: Yeah, so right here we definitely need some L2 solution. If, if it is going to scale exponentially, then any solution with fixed amount of payments that can be processed at time will Make it unusable at some point. So there has to be a solution that can take the load of transactions. And yeah, it cannot happen even on sharded Ethereum with the exponential scaling. So there has to be a very very fast auto solution that can handle this amount of transactions. Because ultimately, if you look at it as paper, someone maybe not cycle, but in fact, if you have a linear payment model. You can pay for every second of users yeah. of the streaming channels. payments. So
0: drastically increases the like transaction required transaction
1: throughput. Yeah, exactly. So back in I, I don't know 2016, perhaps or 15 even, Vitalik described first approach to payment channels exactly with this example. So yeah, th- there has to be some solution external to the mind chain that can handle this volume of transactions.
0: Do you see that as an impediment to you moving forward? Like if that doesn't happen, you can't move forward or do you just see if that doesn't happen, you moving forward with a limited like feature set, limited options in terms of what you can pay, how you can pay?
1: So, uh, so the, the best outcome for, for us is someone preparing a layer solution and yeah, give, giving it to the world and golem well, using it. Uh, if it doesn't happen soon enough, then we can come up with our own. L2 solution, for example, based on enclaves, but not necessarily, and if that, I don't see a scenario in which it cannot happen, but provided that we have some hurdles, we still can run Golem using the main chain and batching or probabilistic payments, so it will work, but the better the scalability solution is, uh, the better user experience for the platform.
0: Are you still married to Ethereum? Is it like, say, for instance, Ethereum doesn't quite provide it, but someone else comes about and does. Is that something that you'd be willing to move? Is it? Are you attached to Ethereum or, or what? I mean, at my point, like, it behooves any platform to stay true to their initial, like, I guess, endeavors, but always be positioned to hedge if they need to, because we're not guaranteed anything in this ecosystem.
1: Yeah, for sure, but. It seems to be the safest bet for us right now. And uh, yeah. Well, I agree. We
0: to <laughs> I certainly agree. Yeah. But like, we just don't know how things are going to go forward with kind of how F2 played out or F1.x.
1: Yeah. 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 If all those three approaches that I've described are, are not feasible, which is very, very highly unlikely in my opinion, then we might think about what to do next.
0: Let's talk to you a little bit our sponsor of the show this week. Status, and today I want to call out, uh, the many listeners who are building dApps on Ethereum to tell you how to get your dApp in the hands of all the Status app users. Status app itself is a mobile web three, unless you chat, browse, and transact. There's a lot of cool things about the Status app. Right now, let's talk about the DApp Explorer. Status app uses DAP.ps, that's referred to as DApps, as an on-ramp to use Ethereum dApps on mobile. Maybe you've heard about DeFi, want to check out KyberSwap or DeFi Zap, well, get some S&T and load it up in your status wallet, and use DAP.PS, dap.ps to get DeFi on mobile. Take your decentralized, permissionless finance with you. Already, we're seeing tons of excitement around mobile dApps and Web3. If you've got a dApp, head to dap.ps, check it out, follow the instructions for staking, and get your dApp ranked and featured, or email stake at dap.ps for more information. What's really neat about the Status App DApp Explorer is that it automatically creates a social channel for your dApp. So you've got a place where Status app users can find and use your dApp, but also you've got the built-in private and secure chat functionality to build a community, do Q&A, FAQ, support, or even meme building. What's that you say? You're not a dApp developer? Why not? Status has a suite of developer tools to get you started building, testing, and deploying Web3 dApps with Embark.io. You know, you see projects that raised a bunch of money in their ICO in 2017, and then nothing, some crappy wallet, Maybe some marketing partnerships, but status is shipping consumer products, dev tools, and fixing Ethereum and basic peer-to-peer networking and communication protocols. The team is legit. I'm on it. Decentralized and open source. Check out everything they are up to at the statusnetwork.com or start with the status app at statusim slash git. That's status.im slash G E T. Back to the show. So I have a server sitting behind me, um in the room behind me, and it's It's basically idle. It's like a 16 core server with 32 gigs of RAM or so. And I want to use it. What do I, what do I, what do I do now to like get it online to do stuff? Uh, Or first, can I use it now? Is it a useful thing to even for me to kind of like break it down, get it ready, start and then, you know, submit it to the network and what, what can it do? What can I expect from it?
1: Well, so yes, you can. Uh, you you have to install the Golem client and go through the configuration process, which is not very easy. But I I bet you can do it. And once it's up, that that's it. It, it runs and waits for tasks from the network. So from the provider perspective, it's installing the client and configuring it properly. It's so it requirements as an Do
0: I need like a static IP? Do I need um? Is there any bandwidth requirements that I need or uptime requirements that I need in terms of like, if the power goes out, am I going to be, is there going to be an issue there?
1: That depends on what you would like to do with the server because, so okay, static IP. It's best if you have static IP, but perhaps most of people do not. So unfortunately you need to uh, forward your ports and configure your router accordingly so that in this peer-to-peer network other nodes can find you. Mm-hmm. So, so this is the hurdle. But once you're past it, uh, well, it's really up to the profile of what you'd like to offer to the network. If you know that you can often turn or switch off the computer or use it for other purposes, then you don't accept tasks with timeout longer than some minutes. or even, Well, seconds is too too, too short, but per- perhaps minutes. And this is it for now. But if you believe that this computer can be on for example, a day, then perhaps you can accept large tasks, which are plenty.
0: And the obvious thing that I think about based on what I what I do in my day job is um, what guarantees do I have that the server that's running on on, on the network in my house, on, on the golden the network, it's just doing arbitrary tasks that I set it to do that it allows it to do. How do I know that the jobs that are being run on my computer won't infect that machine or the other devices on my network? How, can, how is it sandboxed appropriately so that I have at least a modicum of security guarantees?
1: Yeah, so right now you have uh, a Docker container uh, without permissions to access the internet. So this is containerized and yeah, this is the isolation layer. And additionally, you accept tasks that, well, in fact, there are only a couple of different classes of tasks right now which means that you won't be harmed by them. And you have the WASM, which is a general purpose language, but with uh, containerization and limitations imposed, it's, I believe, very, very hard to get out with WASM from the Docker container. As far as I know, no one has done it yet. So there's no 100% guarantee, but this is the security measures.
0: And as you expand, like I feel as though you're, you're drastically expanding the capabilities of what you can do with the machine, which I feel consequently has consequences on what the machine is capable of doing to itself in the network. Is that something that you're actively looking mm-hmm. at or thought about?
1: Yeah, you're right. And yes, yes. Well, of course, this is a decision that it's up to user. So in the next milestone, you should be able to, for example, with uh, virtual machines, Uh, in the setup that you should understand or someone else should attest that is secure for you as a user. So if the setup with the virtual machine is secure and you trust the third party or whoever who attests it, then you should be pretty safe from whatever is run inside the machine, inside the virtual machine. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, if you're an experienced user and know what you're doing, and you understand the tasks, you can even rent your bare metal and expose it to the network,
0: oh man, make sure your vlans are set up accordingly
1: uh, so
0: i I, I just I, I I'm curious about these things i I find it fascinating on like how to do this stuff, but it feels as though um anyone who can actively participate uh, or at least especially in the next milestone needs to be relatively savvy in tooling configuring Linux systems, their networks, so on and so forth to get this thing up and running and participate in the network appropriately. Is that your main audience? And if you'd like to expand above to that, like what educational slash onboarding procedures are you are you going through to try and get more and more people to participate without having to have you know deep technical knowledge?
1: Well so yeah initially I believe this is mostly for savvy developers, not not for regular users, but only initially. Well people should get interested the platform should Figure out how to cooperate with different integrations that they can put on the platform, how to play with the platform, in fact, and what they can take out by using it. But this is only an an initial group of uh, users. I believe that we're going to learn quite a lot uh, by just getting feedback from them. But later, further down the road, we should should and we will uh, reach out to other audiences as well. But starting with this specific audience. In mind. So even for this audience, it's important to have hackathons to to generally be close to them, assist them and get feedback from them. So we are going to organize meetings and yeah, see what comes out. And in the meantime, I'm sure that quite a lot of those people are going to come up with ideas of how to utilize Golem in ways that we haven't even imagined and perhaps provide services or perhaps services. That can make the UX for regular users much better in terms of accessing the platform and making sure that what they run on their machines is secure for them. And in fact, that what they, what is run is, for example, run in a confidential manner. This is what the requester needs.
0: Yeah. That's definitely like a,
1: y'all are, y'all are mainly
0: based out of, I, I know some of you are based out of Berlin. They a major office in Berlin. Is that where the whole team is or how are y'all distributed as a team?
1: So the, the the major, most of the team is located in Warsaw, Poland. Okay. Yeah, and uh, so some other people are in Berlin and across the world. But m- most of the dev team is in Poland, in Warsaw.
0: Okay, that's a good place to be. I have our, our system admin's in Poland. He's, he's, he's the best. <laughs> so I, 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 I'm kind of excited about this. Where do people go? So, uh, it happens every time I talk to you guys, because I've I've come from a high-performance computing background. Um. I don't, I don't necessarily foresee high performance computing coming from the Golem network, but there's so much general purpose computing that can be happen, that can happen that it it seems like a reasonable thing to have such a network provide such services and people who have, people like me who just have random computers resources lying around to participate in this network and passively earn money. Like, do you, do you see people's passive resources actually Earning them more money than the amount of money it takes to run them computing? You know what I mean? Like is it, is it, you see them as it being profitable to run them at capacity, uh, assuming assuming the network is booming instead of just kind of maybe breaking even or not being able to pay for the, like the associated electricity of running the jobs.
1: This is a very good and hard question.
0: I you don't know sorry. how <laughs> it may work
1: out with that single nodes and uh, individual providers. Because uh, yeah, right now, right in this setup, you provide your node, which cannot be customly adjusted to to needs of the market and the external world, and you need to trust that there is enough demand for the power of the type that you provide. Exactly. So this this is tricky. Perhaps yes, perhaps no, depending on the requesters and the, yeah, their the willingness to use such resources because they may use resources that are cheap. But actually they may look for something different. So this decentralization may be a very important attribute that requesters will, will be looking for. And in that scenario, actually individual nodes of yeah, single users should earn and make profit. But that depends on requesters. On the other side, on the other side, there are providers with more resources, for example, small clusters and they can adjust the needs of the market. And they actually, I believe, can make profit in an easier manner because they can adjust to what people require. That, that's just a guess. But, yeah. yeah, we've been thinking about it, and it seems that for individual requesters, it may be harder to easily get into the, this market. But at the same time, yeah, it's, it's just your idle machine. So if it's idle all the time, you can still make some passive profit well, income, it's not necessarily a profit.
0: Yeah, this next question there is like, how do you get people to use it? How do you generate demand?
1: Oh, This is a good question. Yeah, so as I said, what we are going to start with is this group of savvy developers and we would like to reach out to other audiences after getting a few, a few iterations with them and seeing how they can interact with the platform. Uh, one additional thing is, for example, have an integration with this platform that people right now understand. So there are quite a few projects, open source projects, which allow users to share their computing power to some greater good. Let's say folding at Homer right now while well, fighting COVID. Mm-hmm. So if we have something like this built on top of Golem, then it should be easier to attract users just to try it out. This is just, just an example. So, but those two are the examples of how we can reach out to audiences and make it more recognizable.
0: That's definitely something and I, I feel as though the more popular and effective those campaigns are, like folding at home, uh, fighting covid, things like that, the more uh you can leverage them, right? Like that's folding at home has been around for a very long time. So it's like the SETI project, right? Uh where you yeah, people exactly. used to use like the network of PlayStation's idle time to uh search search the stars for for signals. Um I just think that platforms like this can really leverage um, ILO resources well and everyone well I don't know how computation um, computational resources at home are going to trend over time as we move to a more like personal mobile development not as many people have desktops or servers like I'm curious kind of like I just I'm, I'm forming the question as I, as I chat to myself like have you thought about the personal trending of available computation for individuals at home? Or are you expecting it to kind of move towards organizations with small clusters who have extra resources or individuals who have extra resources?
1: So if I were to bet, I would bet on clusters, than individuals with resources. And the third stage is individuals who just want to share and make some passive income. But that, that's guess. Although yeah. I believe that's it's the well, the easier you can adjust to the market conditions, the more likely you are going to sustain and, and yeah, be, be good in this network.
0: That's going to have an effect on the broader ecosystem of uh, quote unquote decentralized tech, right? Like, there's there's kind of a few different paths that we can go down. One is everyone has um, a reasonably uh, capable device always on in their home that manages a myriad of services for them, right? Like I guess what um like Grid X or Grid Plus calls like the agent of their home. And you can ostensibly see something like Golem sitting on that thing and providing providing resources for passive income. Uh, and or the other one is no one has devices at home and they rele- and they de- delegate all computation to some third party in which seems like a step towards step away from the ideology of
1: Ethereum. Mm, I agree. Man. <laughs> yeah. In a ret- ret- retrospect it's something like mainframes back <laughs> well yeah. many years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well I think that it would d- diversify, really, because there is a point in hosting a machine in your own computer in your own place. Uh, and also there may be a point in Simply offloading most of what you need daily to some remote machine. I think that it's, I wouldn't bet on either being a winner. I would rather bet that those two are going to yeah, I come guess parallel. It's
0: like, I guess it's like a, that's, that's a false dichotomy, if you will, because like it's not, it's, it's not a dichotomy. It's, it's really a kind of, uh, it's, I don't want to call it linear, but it's a gradient of people's needs and demands and requirements of what they, how they'd like to control things and how much trust they're willing to delegate to something else and the associated costs and available infrastructure for them wherever they are. So like, uh, uh, because you're balancing all these diff- different requirements and needs and uh, uh, availabilities, like you're going to end up with a, a myriad of uh kind of network topologies. So that's like And that's something that, you're hoping this, like, your services are able to accommodate to. Like, when I request something, I can choose uh, where it lives, what it's associated with, things like that. Like, I'm maybe shifting a little bit towards that request API that you 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 want to mention. That's a new thing. That's not something that I'm currently aware of in terms of like I need this. Here's how I query a network of things to get it.
1: Yeah. So yeah. So maybe you are not fully capable of choosing something from the network because that something may not be there. But you should be able to easily express what you're looking for, and if it's there, it should be delivered to you.
0: How far along is that? Is that that syntax? That like that 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 language of of, for requesting things.
1: Mm, We have. Hmm. Right now I believe two versions. Uh the the second one is the, the full featured one. Uh right now the first version is already implemented and yeah, ready to go. So even today we had an internal demo using it and it
0: worked. Yeah, cheers that. I'll probably read up about that and maybe maybe bring you on again just to specifically talk about how that works in the ins and outs of kind of the difficulties there. Because that's that's fascinating in itself is like this kind of query API of a very generic set of resources.
1: Yeah, so that may be interesting. All
0: right, well, I guess we can wrap it up from here. Uh, where do people go? Or first off, were there any questions that you would have liked me to ask that I didn't?
1: Well, in fact, I believe it was quite true So, not necessarily. Uh, One thing that I wanted to mention in the meantime, when you touch the different topologies and different usages of the network, is that we are aware of at least two use cases where people have small clusters. And those clusters are not necessarily clusters that are designed to be exposed to the network as a full-fledged data centers or sort of powerful nodes. But they are there, for example, a company with an internal network. And those small companies may be, for example, indie games. And if you want to run a distributed compiler on distributed resource processor, then if you are an indie studio, you may actually be limited and may need to rent some additional resources. So if you have such a small company, then from time to time, you may need additional resources that are expensive and hard to get. But if there are a couple of indie companies that are connected with this network, provided that they really don't use this whole uh, capacity all the time, they can actually interchange resources between them and use them to have their um, pipelines working smoothly all the time. And the other one is simply scientific computing, where also you have a profile other of HPC or... Uh, yeah, or you simply need a cluster needed from time to time. And at least in Poland, I believe that, you know, other countries may be different. It's not usually easy to set up different clusters, interconnect with each other and send tasks to each other.
0: No, it's absolutely
1: so not. People, yeah. <laughs> I could,
0: I can tell you from a lot of experience that running a piece of software across uh, a myriad of high performance scientific computing clusters is a nightmare uh, because they're all configured differently and they all have different queue systems. Like, is, is the goal there to kind of marriage of the of the resources in? Well, I guess like through a unified queue because like every every one of these HPC systems has their own queue and um, kind of uh, resource restrictions and allocations and how that queue is managed and prioritized. Uh, getting people to unify that type of thing. Uh, would be very difficult, but incredibly useful. Uh, but also, like, because every single HPC cluster is very finely tuned and purposely built uh, towards a specific type of hardware architecture, like, a lot of, or at least high-performance computing, a lot of those jobs, uh, the software is also finely tuned to the architecture itself, too. So, like, you can't just, like, submit a job and it and it run easily across a myriad of uh, different hpc clusters so I, like that 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 would be hard to do but if it could be done i can imagine a a tremendous amount of use case maybe it's just like it's subsection to a certain type uh, a certain type of job
1: yeah and i fully agree and you, you can approach it at least two ways perhaps more because you can either prepare a task as a requester well in fact as a software developer in a way that can be run uh, efficiently on multiple configurations, which means that this task inside would be comprised of a few different tasks that, sh- that would be sent to different types of hardware on the other side. Or you can try to somehow unify the gateway between the network and the HPC to run the tasks. Yeah, but it's not up to us. <laughs> it's up to users if they believe that this is something that, that is a valid use case. And I believe that someone will
0: try to implement it. Problem with HPC, is um, it's usually that getting people to understand and implement the system administrative stuff, like getting it, getting a specific type of software optimized on a machine is hard to do. And so having them do this for very forward thinking types, types of projects like Golem would be even harder to do. At least this is with my experience maybe. 6 5 or 6 years ago um, but it's something that I think is well worth the effort uh and there are, there are there are a subset of um, very popular scientific computing software that are amenable to such a use case so I, I look forward to seeing uh kind of that happen within the Golem ecosystem
1: well let's wait and see what happens
0: yeah, where can, where can people go to learn more, get in con- contact with you, uh, start downloading the client, and try it out for themselves?
1: Well, you can go to our web page and you, you will definitely find all the necessary information there, so golem.network. Uh, it will route you also to our GitHub, uh, which is open source, of course, and there is quite a lot of source code for anyone interested and quite a lot of documentation as well regarding configuring Golem, re- regarding how it works, regarding uh, well, not, 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 also, not only going, but regarding uh, additional technical information and additional information such as blog posts where you have described the different uh, not hurdles, not obstacles, different issues that we have to tackle along the way. And perhaps this is something interesting to you as well or to a user or developer.
0: Great. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you very much.